International Teacher Magazine presents Talking About the ITM Podcast with your host, Andy Hamden. Our topic today is equity in education. There's a lot of talk at the moment about DEIJ, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. But how many schools are taking practical steps to establish a culture of equity? What's holding them back? My guests today are Nunana Naomi, University Advisor and DEIJ Coordinator at Laysen American School in Switzerland, and Dr. Claire Ives, Senior Deputy Head and EDI Lead at Seven Oaks School in the UK. Both are passionate commentators on the issue of equity in schools and are central to their school's commitment to a DEIJ agenda. Claire, Nunana, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to start off by asking you, what does your remit actually entail? Nanana, what does a DEIJ coordinator actually do? Sure. Well, actually, you will see um, this type of um, position in different iterations, depending on the type of school that you have and their priorities. So, you know, in my particular case, I actually have a split role. I am a university advisor primarily, so helping students start, uh, get to university. But then I also have part of my role that's focused on coordinating efforts around uh, equity and inclusion. And what that entails is essentially uh, collaborating with other willing educators within the community, um, examining where we think we can um, have an impact, uh, working with our leadership as well to set priorities around equity and inclusion, uh, working with student groups, uh, we have affinity groups on areas uh, such as, uh, you know, LGBTQ affinity, students who are passionate around equity and working with those groups to empower them to achieve what their goals are to improve our community. Um, but I would say in a nutshell, what I would summarize it to be is we're trying to nurture a community where every individual is able to thrive as their full selves with their full identity represented and celebrated within the community. Interesting. Claire, does that resonate with you? Are you doing something similar at Seven Oaks? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't put it any more beautifully than that, I think. Um yeah, for me, you know, when I came in, it was a big passion and and the head said that he really wanted me to kind of look after school culture. And um and I suppose for me it's exactly the same. I'm I'm the the EDI advocate, I suppose, on senior leadership and with governing body. Um, so really trying to ensure that every single policy that we write and every procedure that we think through has equity, diversity and inclusion as a, as a major part of it. Um, and then, you know, making sure that that filters through the whole school community. So we don't just talk about that behind closed doors in senior leadership meetings, but that actually we action it in the community so that our staff know about it. So they feel supported to be who they want to be. Our students know about it and they feel supported. And, and like Nunana, you know, we run student affinity groups. I chair a steering group where all of those meet so that things that they advocate for come to fruition. Or if they don't come to fruition, I can explain to them why not. Um, and so the whole community can can see that we're really considering everything that the students say to us and staff say to us and and have a really good thought through reaction to it. Um, so yeah, I think in many ways our, our jobs sound almost identical. <laughs> so how exactly does equity differ from equality? I think people would say, oh, well, we, we're all egalitarian, we believe in equality, but equity seems to be something different. Nanana, how is it different from equality? 
Well, um, in a nutshell, you know, human beings are complex and very different in, uh, in, in the way in which we are. Um, and so if you were to treat everyone equally, that equal treatment isn't necessarily going to be beneficial at the same level for everyone. So, for example, if we said that, uh, you know, we were going to have a theater and it was all going to have uh, chairs and everyone would then get an equal opportunity to sit in this theater, that excludes people who are not able-bodied because they can't sit in chairs. So where's the space for the wheelchair access for them to uh, accomplish or to benefit in the same way? So as we talk about this idea of equity, what we're trying to do is make sure that resources are distributed in a way that everyone can have the same level of access to opportunity, regardless of where they might be starting from. Recognizing that we all start at different points based on the collections of identities that are within us. Um, that we have some identities that give us uh, dominance and some that are marginalized identities. And the collection of those identities are important to take into consideration when we then al allocate resources to, to benefit the community. And does that, again, resonate with you, Claire? Is, is, is that how you see it? Do you have to make allowance for how completely different people actually are? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think, for me, equality is a fantastic principle that we should all be trying to achieve. And I think for many years, equality has been a, you know, a buzzword that has been out there in society. And when you think about equality, you're tending to think about kind of big groups of people. So you might be thinking about race uh, and ethnicity. You might be thinking about neurodiversity or disability. You might be thinking about people who come from certain areas of the LGBT community. But the problem is that's fine when you're thinking through, you know, for example, in schools, you might be thinking, well, do our female students have as much access to the same sports as male students? And do we showcase them in the same way? Do they have access to the same um, facilities, for example? Um, and that's that's very much done on equality. But, you know, when you get down to the individual student, it, it's it's very different. So you can have, you know, if you think about neurodiversity, you can have a student who says, I am dyslexic. And you can have another student who says, don't don't I don't identify as as you know my neurodiversity actually I'm x and I have dyslexia and it's those nuances I think of language that make equity so interesting because what you're doing is you're engaging with the individual and you're you're on a journey with them through their education and then you enable them I think to to be so articulate when they leave school about what they want and who they are that they can go on to fight for themselves when they go into university and, and the work world and for me that's what equity is about is the individual centre. Do you find that uh, there is a, a whole question of, uh, say, unconscious bias against that kind of idea in, in the communities in which you work? Is that something you're having to deal with, Nunana? Depends on the issue, but certainly it's uh, bias is something that we have to contend with. It's a natural phenomenon of the human uh, condition. Um, and so as we go ahead and advocate for equity, um, for somebody who maybe comes from a dominant perspective, who maybe hasn't had to experience a certain type of uh, marginalization, they might be predisposed to, to think, well, I don't see why this is such a problem. I survived. I was able to achieve this with no help in their minds. And we always have to be questioning our biases, questioning our psyche. Um, because it happens to all of us. I don't think there's a person that exists that doesn't have bias. And so when we start from that lens and say, you know what, we do have bias, but 
how can we work at recognizing it? And then before we go ahead and take a decision just based on, you know, the way we view the world, let's take a step back and ask ourselves, have we thought about all the different points of view that could be affecting this decision and the people who could be affected by the decision so that we can try to eliminate or at least reduce the impact of the bias that would naturally happen if we're not questioning ourselves constantly? So we've got to keep questioning ourselves, and that implies a certain degree of introspection and uh, self-consideration that perhaps people aren't naturally uh, disposed to. That's an interesting idea. And you've also used a couple of terms there that I'd like to take up with Claire, a dominant perspective and a marginalized perspective. Claire, what do you understand by dominant and marginalized perspectives? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, a dominant perspective is very much one where society has kind of um, accepted a norm, I suppose, um, you know, and, and then you will hear people say, yeah, but most people do this. And they actually have no evidence for that. A lot of the time they're talking about something they don't really know very much about. You know, very few of us actually read statistics about how many people identify in a certain way. So it's very much this kind of assumption that because I feel a certain way and my neighbor feels a certain way, then everyone must feel that way. And that, I, for me, that's the dominant. And then the marginalized, I think, is those people who haven't um, in society had a voice previously or are only just beginning to find a voice. Um, and, you know, the, and they're the people that, you know, we're trying to really nurture. And I think the thing for me is that, you know, traditionally, I, I came from a civil rights background. My PhD was about civil rights. So I was very used to thinking about marginalized groups in terms of um, ethnic and racial grouping um, and then you know the LGBT groups as well and you know but actually I think what we find is that people like to be treated as individuals in every walk of life and they have a different reaction to you know to someone else um, all the time about a range of issues and so it's really just I think for me making sure that we're not making top-down assumptions in schools where senior leadership get together and you know and say well we think this we actually we need to just stay open to the fact that the rest of the community might not think the way the leadership team thinks and the way the governors think so it's kind of unpacking analyzing what might be there instead of assuming what's there because it's always been the case or we've always made that assumption so you've got to break it down DEIJ itself seems to me to be a really big, big area. How does equity fit into that, uh, Nunana? Is it something special on its own? Or how do these different areas of DEIJ relate to each other? One thing I would say is over the time that this discussion has kind of become more prominent in school settings, um, acronyms have kind of emerged. I know in the UK, we talk about EDI. Uh, more North American context is more DEIJ. Um, and I always say before we get into all of the acronyms and all of that and get lost, it's really important to remind ourselves that this is people work, relational work. We're just trying to create communities, as I said at the beginning, where all individuals are able to thrive and really be themselves with their identity fully celebrated, um, that they can be active participants in our communities because we know our communities are better when everyone is truly at the table and contributing and our world is better. Ultimately, as schools, we're preparing students for the next step entering into our world. And so to me, this idea of DEIJ, it is essential for us to be thinking with that lens in no matter what aspect of 
school life that we're trying to influence and affect. So in terms of how equity aligns with that, um, we explained a little bit earlier on about this whole idea of just trying to make sure that as we look at different collections of identities within our communities, how do we make sure that they are being resourced correctly, being served correctly, and being able to participate fully in our communities? Um, and maybe just a brief point that I'd make in addition to that is Another term and idea, uh, which is one called intersectionality, that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, this idea that we're a collection of different things. You know, we're not just one specific identity. To look at me, you know, I'm a, a black male, but there's so much more uh, richness to, to my identity, you know, my socioeconomic status, uh, my educational background, my religion, you know, so on and so forth. There's so many other aspects, my sexuality, that may not be seen. And all of these give me proximity to um, to power or distance from power. And it is the cumulative effect of those marginalizations that we really have to pay attention to. So those people who have lots of different combinations of marginalized identities within them that we have to be prioritizing. And when we do, the whole community benefits. So it seems to me that you are taking on a very big agenda. And you are looking at things in uh, a different way to the way people have thought in the past. And there is a subtext there that schools have been inequitable in the past. Claire, how are schools, I mean, really great schools, nice schools, people that welcome you into the school, uh, people that you feel good about and schools that you feel, wow, this is a great school, but they still might be inequitable. How so? I think often it's in little ways. It's I think it's rarely, especially in the last sort of 15, 20 years, it's rarely meant to be inequitable. There's there's not a kind of, right, we're going to treat male students differently to female students, or we're going to treat, you know, someone who's black differently to someone who, you know, is of, of a white ethnic grouping. It, but it's, it's little things. It's often around um, a lack of understanding and ignorance of actually what it might feel like to be a part of uh, of a marginalised group. Um, I remember a student of mine in a, in my boarding house. I was a I was a um, boarding house mistress for for a while, and she came to me. She said it really annoys me when um, you know we're in the, the end of a sports session, and the sports coach will say, "I need a big strong lad to help me lift the cones," and she's like, "Really." I can lift the cones, you know, I can help. And 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 he didn't mean that to be inequitable at all. But it came across like that and it and it kind of set this agenda that, you know, men are strong and women are not. And you know, and, and those perceptions just roll on. Um and it's and that's why this work is so hard, because you know, you're challenging really small things and you're challenging language that has become you know, ingrained and commonplace, I think, and and feelings that are the same way. So it's it's tricky. It is tricky, isn't it? Because people might not mean anything by what they say, but it is uh, laden with meaning for other people who are interacting with them. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> it, it is a big issue, and it can lead to misunderstandings. But, Nunana, you've written uh, in ITM, and I, I was really moved by what you what you wrote. You wrote about schools fearing equity. What did you mean by that? And uh, just develop it a little bit for us. Why do they? Why are they afraid? Sure. I have been obviously in a number of different discussions, you know, at different school settings before this role that I took upon. I actually worked for an international school association. And so we would uh, engage in this type of work 
with different um, school leaders and communities. And oftentimes there would be, you know, responses like, you know, well, what about the parents? If we do this, you know, maybe the parents are going to be upset about uh, the fact that we're now choosing to, to emphasize a certain point of view or perspective or highlight certain uh, uh, certain issues, certain marginalized groups or certain uh, curriculum. What about, you know, the students? What if they get upset? What if they something goes viral on social media? Because, you know, we've decided that we're going to, to take a certain stance. Um, there's always, there were always these what if questions that would kind of paralyze decision making. And often what I found is, uh, just from an international school ecosystem perspective, our schools are laden with people who, um, have made it to where they have made it because they've been prox, uh, close to power. Um, and so, um, and what I mean by that is the, the collection of identities within them has put them closer to power and therefore seen as people who then are likely to then be offered those types of positions. And so often they're looking at things with a certain lens and that worldview to, to your point about bias earlier might not be paying attention to certain other perspectives. And when those perspectives get brought up, there's a fear that comes up. And I think part of it is a natural fear because suddenly there's a worry of, am I going to lose my trappings? Am I going to lose uh, something in order for this uh, equity agenda to happen? And what I found from my own personal experiences is that we have a lot to learn um, from the world of psychology and how they address fear and how we could also use some therapy, both individually and collectively as institutions, to build that muscle memory, that that tolerance that we need in order to do the work that's important with equity. We have to ask ourselves really hard questions about resource allocation, about curriculum, about how people are treated just generally. And that puts us in vulnerable places. And so by us being able to do that courageously, we can truly achieve a lot more. So that was kind of the point that I was trying to make within my article was to try to get people to understand that if we can tackle our fear, then we can actually go far in our equity work. Yes, because it does take quite a lot of courage to go forward and and take an agenda that's not dominant. Claire, I mean, have you ever been accused of uh, just peddling a woke agenda by the people who are so-called anti-woke? Um, never outright, but I'm sure it, I'm sure it's something that, that is thought of. And we, you know, at Seven Oaks, we are a very progressive school and we like to make sure that everything we do is, is fully considered, fully in lines with our principles. Equity is, is one of those principles. Um, and that means that, you know, almost certainly there will be people amongst our community who won't agree with a, a certain decision. And in particular, I think it rears its head when there appears to be a lack of consistency. And I think the thing about equality is that with equality, you can appear to be really consistent. If this happens, then we will do that. But with equity, it isn't that straightforward because what you're doing is you're taking the context of an individual into, into account and that can make you seem inconsistent in your approach. Um, and neither students or staff or in fact parents are very comfortable with that because it it keeps them on on the edge of their seat so to speak you know it's it's an edgy place to be and i think the only way to counteract that fear is to be very straightforward about it 
Um, I mean, I really recognised that in Nunana's article when I was reading it. I just thought, yeah, that's that's nailed it because it is fear that holds us back in everything in life. Um, and for me, the only way to address that is to state it openly that it exists and that we're going to address it. And you know, we, we're not going to just leave the elephant in the room. We're actually going to address the elephant in the room. Um, so we've got very used to here when we when we introduce speakers who are, are talking about difficult topics or whether we're doing something in PSHE or you know whatever it is, we've got very used to saying we are not subject experts on this and we are exploring with you and we want to hear your views. This isn't us telling you what's right. This is us exploring together as a community where we want to head. Um, and I think in doing so, people relax a little bit and realize that there's space for views um, and that the whole the whole point about diversity is that it's beautiful, right? That we learn from other people and that that's okay and that we don't have to all think the same thing and look the same way and, you know, all of those kind of things. So openness and discussion are essential to, as you put it in your article, establishing it at the centre of the culture of a school. Yeah, uh, and doing it explicitly. I think so. For me, you know, being explicit about things, it makes it easier and it makes it, it makes it harder for people to hide behind an agenda as well. Um, and I think, I think that's a good thing. And, it, and it's a difficult thing because, and sometimes, you know, something will be raised and you think, wow, I don't know how to deal with this. And you, you might need to take a minute and you might need to consult quite widely and you might need to consult outside of your organization. But in the end, that makes your decision-making process better. And it's strange, though, isn't it? Because it's been uh, for a long time accepted as a part of the dominant culture that we help kids who need a little bit of extra academic help because they're not quite understanding something. So we pour resources into that. And yet, some of these other issues uh, are not being uh, addressed. Just to wrap things up for you and Claire, Nanana, if there was one thing you would like people to understand more about equity and its importance, what would it be? I would say, if I were to summarize equity um, and what people need to understand, it is that when the least of us are uplifted in our community, then our whole community improves. Um, there's a lot of great research talking about how diverse teams or diverse communities are more productive, are more effective than homogenous ones. And most places are diverse collections of people. And so when we think about it in those terms, we have to think about how we can get the most out of the people that are around us. And to do that requires a bit of extra muscle work, a bit of extra understanding, and sometimes stepping back to allow others to, to also get a voice and to be part of the experience. And I think Claire put it really nicely about being on a journey together, that if we are on this journey and we don't know where we're headed, that then everyone can feel invited to be part of it. So to me, I think the biggest thing is always looking out for the least in order for all of us to thrive and flourish. Great. And Claire? Well, I, I think you know how to spin it beautifully. How could you follow that? How can <laughs> I mean, you follow that? How sure. you follow that? <laughs> um, for me, I think equity is kindness. It's fairness and it's kindness. And we all know that children react well to fairness. Um, and so although equity can sometimes be complex and sometimes you have to explain why one person doesn't get exactly the same treatment as another, 
at the heart of it, I think when you explain that, people understand that it's a kind philosophy. Um, and I suppose although it's a relatively new term in education, um, and we and schools are beginning to move towards equity, you know, away not away from equality, but adding equity on to to equality. I think actually. In reality, it's something that schools have been doing for years. You know, the heart of our mission is a pastoral mission. You know, for me, you can you can have an academic agenda, you can try and drive up standards, but without a strong pastoral care system in your in your school, you won't manage to establish that. And I think we've been doing this without naming it for many, many years. You know, your tutor-child relationship is about equity. It's about getting to know that child, getting the best out of that child and understanding when they need help. And, you know, you said that, Andy, it's about helping the individual. And we've been doing that for for SEN for many years. So I think this isn't as new as many people think it is. It's just that we're articulating it more strongly than before. Claire, Nunana, thank you very much. A fantastic conversation. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. A pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking About the ITM Podcast. A Honey to Your Ears production. Copyright 2023. Produced by Jason Lasky. For more information about contributing to International Teacher Magazine, please visit conciliumeducation.com. For the sweetest sound production experience, honeytoyourears.com.